Thank you, Tony and Valerie, for leading us in our readings. We pick up the story of the Sermon on the, on the Mount once again with the passage that Tony has just read for us. I don't know about you, but as we journey through the Sermon on the Mount, I'm encountering a different kind of Jesus than the Jesus of my Sunday school years. Jesus in Sunday school was always busy healing people, and the teacher was always telling me that Jesus loved me and that I had something to do for him. But in this passage this morning, and in the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, we see that we do have something to do for Jesus, and that doing is living this radical life that he has called us to. Here in this passage this morning, we see Jesus taking on the accepted teaching of the Old Testament and then saying, but. So as we journey through our reading this morning, let us focus on the words of Jesus, what he's saying to us here today, and what's he saying that we may need to do when we leave here today and go back to our homes. 45% of Britons regularly lose their temper at work. In case you're wondering, these statistics are from the Sunday Times, not from my personal research. 64% of Britons working in an office have office rage. 38% of men are unhappy at work. 27% of nurses have been attacked at work. 33% of Britons are not on speaking terms with their neighbors. One in 20 of us has had a fight with the person living next door. UK Airlines reported 1,486 significant or serious acts of air rage in a year. The UK has the second worst road rage statistics, second only to South Africa. More than 80% of drivers say they've been involved in road rage incidents and the 25% of those were committing the road rage themselves. 71% of internet users have admitted to suffering net rage, and 50% of us have reacted to computer problems either by hitting our PC or hurling parts of it across the office or the house, screaming and abusing at the same time. Almost... A third of people polled say that they have a close friend or family member who has trouble controlling their anger. More than one in ten say they have trouble controlling their own anger. More than one in four people say that they worry about how angry they sometimes feel. 64% of people agree that society today is getting angrier. And it's into this setting this morning that our passage in the Sermon on the Mount speaks. It's into this kind of society that Jesus' teaching issues a challenge. It's into this kind of society that Jesus' words echo this morning. I don't know about you, but isn't it amazing how people around us are always saying, Look, that Bible's a little bit irrelevant. That Bible doesn't really speak into today's society. Well, if those statistics reflecting today's society reflect that we're getting angrier, and we have a book this morning that's speaking about anger, 
Go figure and tell me the Bible is irrelevant. What this morning makes you more frustrated than anything else? Have a little think about that. What makes you more frustrated than anything else this morning? Well, I was reading during the week to prepare for this morning. I came across a story about an American uh, pastor uh, who was out for the day with his wife, decides that they're going to take a visit to Griffith Park Observatory. No idea where that is, but it sounds nice. When they arrived, they discovered that on that particular day, the whole of the Western Hemisphere also seemed to decide that they were going to visit the same observatory. Parking, as always at those public places, was at a premium. And they were faced with two choices. Either battling for an empty spot amongst everybody else, battling for an empty spot, or parking a couple of miles away and walking up a very steep hill. So, of course, they decide to choose the parking lot. And during the course of the next 20 minutes, they recall how they were cheated at least, cheated out of at least 47 spots. Sounds like me when I go to Tesco's. Especially on the Lisburn Road when there only is nine spaces. <laughs> My wife and I were soon at our end, fuming, contemplating, even going home. But then, but then, the heavens opened, a dove descends from on high, and suddenly there's an empty parking space in the middle. And what do I decide to do? Well, I cackle with glee and get excited, hit my pedal as fast as I can, zoom to that parking space, and after 937 moves, forward and in reverse, I've successfully parallel parked in the tiny space. But as we exited the car, a tiny voice spoke in my head. Are you sure you want to park on the US equivalent of a double yellow or single yellow line. Now, that being said, there is a sign that says, no parking, weekdays eight to five. It was a Sunday, so I thought, obviously, I'm in the clear, and there are hundreds of other cars parked on this yellow line. So what's the harm in me also doing it? So, I think, no traffic warden's going to put a ticket on a whole pile of cars. So I get out of the car and think, oh, well, sure, it'll not matter, and we'll enjoy our day. So I'm busy strolling around the observatory, having a great time, have forgotten about all that frustration I experienced in the car until we return to the car and discover a parking ticket for $82. Now, truth be told, this pastor says that he is a kind of patient guy. And with that in mind, Trust me, he says, when in that moment I would have given anything for a few words with the cop who wrote that ticket. Better yet, an audience with the people responsible for tripling the price of parking tickets in my state. I snatched the ticket in my hand, contemplated turning it up, and then my conscience kicked in. Come on. Remember who you are and who you claim to be. This section 
of teaching on the Sermon on the Mount that we're looking at this morning could be described as dealing with vicious cycles. We'll see over the next couple of weeks Jesus teaching about repressed anger, broken relations, and even isolations. What is this radical alternative life that Jesus is offering to the followers of his kingdom manifesto? Plain and simply, it's deliverance. What we encounter in this section of the Sermon on the Mount isn't high-minded idealism or Jesus' lofty ideas, but a concrete plan for deliverance from society around. But put even more simply, these teachings that we're looking at over the incoming weeks are about clarifying misunderstandings. This is the way people have told you to think, but here's what the commandments say that I'm affirming, but what we have in this teaching is Jesus pointing towards prevention by noting the ingredients that often lead us to do violence to one another. The Old Testament concerned outer action. Jesus concerned inner attitude. Old Testament, thou shalt not kill. Jesus, what could be a motivating factor in leading someone to kill? Ah, but the biblically illiterate, sorry, the biblically literate among you this morning will say, but sure, Jesus got angry. And yes, he did. We see Jesus being angry at those starting to play the blame game at him for healing a man with a withered hand on a Sabbath. We see Jesus get angry and call his opponents fools. And we all remember the incident of Jesus overturning the tables in the temple. But what we see in the teaching of Jesus isn't a command like the Old Testament, but instead a diagnosis. Not so much about being angry, but continuing in anger. Anger this morning leads to judgment. I suppose I'm quite excited about the Andy Warhol exhibition that's coming to the Mac. If anybody's been looking at my Facebook page, I'm obsessed by this at the moment. Really looking forward to getting there. The words of Andy Warhol, once you label something, you can never go back to seeing it unlabeled. Les Mis, so popular in the cinema at the minute, is Jean Valjean a number or a person? And when does judgment stop? Anger may well lead to judgment, but it also leads to ulcers, bitterness, physical abuse, even murder. So the question in Jesus' teaching this morning is, what do we do with our anger? Are we this morning going to continue in anger? Funnily, we can find more teaching on this in Ephesians. Do you remember that book that we were kind of working through before Christmas? It says this, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not continue in anger. If any of you were at Faith and Trial last Sunday night, Stephen McElwain, and I'm going to paraphrase him here, so I hope I do him justice, said that sometimes in the teaching and the Sermon on the Mount, there's so much in which Jesus is referring back to the Old Testament, but we're too lazy to kind of do the groundwork and flick back the pages and see how that situation that Jesus is alluding to speaks into his present 
teaching. So this morning, if we're fully going to understand this difference between thou shalt not kill, and then Jesus teaching, extrapolating from that the danger of anger, we need to flick back to the first murder in the Bible, which Valerie read for us, the murder of Abel by his brother Cain. What do we see in that? We see God warning Cain about the danger of anger, and then also telling him how he can master it. Flicking forward then, back to Matthew 5, we see Jesus speaking about the danger of remaining in anger. And what did the remaining in anger do for Cain? Well, it led him to killing his brother. So we come to the climax of these two stories. Two stories where you either find peace or you make peace. Matthew 5 comes with a climax with five commands. Leave, go, be reconciled, then offer your offering, make friends. Leave, go, be reconciled, then offer your offering, make friends. In Northern Ireland, we often love to call ourselves people of the book. And if this morning we are people of that book, we need to take this book seriously and we need to find what it's actually saying. We see here in Matthew 5 that Jesus is saying, if your brother offends you, here's how you go about resolving it. We find his teaching as well in Matthew 18. If your brother offends you, first go to them, sort it out with them, make peace. That is the teaching of Jesus and it's crystal clear. First you go to them. You don't gossip. First, you go to them. You don't go to the authorities, whether in work or in society. You go to them. You don't start spreading rumors. You automatically go to them. Notice that in the situation and example that Jesus lays out, the vicious cycle only takes 39 words to describe, but the climax and the resolution takes 84 because Jesus is all about the redemptive. Jesus is all about the remedy. Jesus is all about the restoration. But this morning, can anger be a force for good? We read in loads of Bible stories about God's anger, and we can see that God's anger is rooted in his love. Scripture is clear, says one commentator, that God becomes particularly angry in response to injustice against the the helpless, the widows, the orphans, the needy, the oppressed. And so when humans relate to other humans in a way that is abusive, oppressive, and painful, then God's fully invested love is threatened, and God gets angry. God gets angry. Anger is an indication that things need to change. Show me your anger, and I'll show you your passion. Show me your anger, and you could almost see your purpose in life, because what angers you will motivate you. If you find yourself angry about injustice, you'll be driven to seeking the right thing. If you find yourself angry when people twist the name of Jesus into something ugly and awful, then you'll be inspired to live a life of Christ-like love. In short, your anger can drive you 
to seek change. But this passage this morning is all about how do we process that? How do we respond to that? In other words, we should get angry, not at our brothers and sisters, but at the things that anger God. When we do this, we can change the world. When we get angry for our own selfish reasons, we end up leaving an ugly path of tattered lives behind us. The whole thing about following this teaching is to become an imitator of Christ. Our desire this morning is to become more like Christ in the situations and in the circumstances we find ourselves in on a daily basis. It's about being counter-cultural. Jesus' command, not reporting people, going to them first and trying to work it out together. Rosa Parks this morning is an imitator of Christ, not because she suffered for taking her stand or seat, as it may have been in that case, but because she had the courage to believe in her own dignity and fought for it in spite of the conflict that resulted. Nelson Mandela, imitator of Christ, not because he suffered in prison, but because he held out for peace and justice and led a nation to resurrection. In each case, it's not the suffering that is redemptive in and of itself, but the courage to pursue justice in the face of pain and evil. This morning, as we come to this table, we can either have two options. We can remain in anger, which we've been told in our readings is not an option, or we can harness the power of our anger in an act of love. This morning, as we come to this table, we remember God's act of love in an angry world. This morning, the Savior that we will celebrate through the elements was given as an act of love in response to the anger of the world around him, which he came to save, yet couldn't comprehend his teaching. The bread and the wine, a body broken and spilt out for the ultimate act of forgiveness and love. Harness the power of anger in the act of love this morning. If your brother has offended you, leave your offering. Go, make peace, then come back. All of us get angry at times, but how are we going to use that anger? How are we going to respond to that anger? This morning, why don't we leave here focusing on the teaching of Jesus on anger? and follow that model, because that is who we're trying to imitate this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, yet again, we're confronted in your teaching about what you would have us do, about how you would have us be countercultural. It's easy to get angry, but then what do we do with that anger? And we see your teaching very plainly here this morning. Go make peace. Father, would you take us to your table this morning, the table where you have made peace with us through your son. And as we receive those elements, then take us back out into a world to be your peace 
in those situations and circumstances that anger us. Give us a passion this morning for what angers you. Give us a heart for the oppressed. Give us a heart for the widow. Give us a heart for the orphan. Give us a heart for the person just struggling to cope. Help us make peace with you. Make peace with our friends and family. Make peace with the world around us. In your precious name we pray. Amen.